You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 137. On today's show, we discuss the Actors' Equity Showcase Code. Producer and director Rob W. Schneider chats with actor Caleb James Grachowski, who is on the Actors' Equity Committee to re-examine their showcase code. They talk about what is a showcase, showcase contracts for producers and actors, the 99-seat waiver code, which is the LA showcase code, They discuss that the internet can now showcase performer talent, which was the first purpose of a showcase code, the cross-section of actors' equity and nonprofit producers in the development of a new actors' equity showcase contract, and the financial benefits and liabilities of getting rid of the equity membership candidacy program, aka the points system. After this intro, you will not hear from me for the rest of the episode, This is the first of several guest episodes that are planned. With a baby due in four weeks, I am working to take some time off from artistic finance. Over the next few months, you'll be hearing from a variety of guest hosts who are taking their time to make sure that we keep putting out content and giving our community a place to connect. Now, nearly all of them have been previous guests of the show, so you'll probably recognize some of them including Rob Schneider today. If you want to listen to his previous episode on producing cabarets, check that out in the show notes. We do publish videos on YouTube. However, if you go to watch this one, you'll discover there is no video. The reason for that is that Rob is a podcaster himself and he doesn't do video. And while I'm mentioning that, I would say check out his podcast, which is called Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, where he talks to Broadway legends that are still living. At the end of the show, Rob mentions the Financial Independence Book Club, which meets at the end of every month. He says to email me for details, but don't do that. We now have a webpage where you can get all the information, and that is artisticfinance.com slash book club. Links to that and everything discussed is in the show notes. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Uh, I am your co-host for today, Robert W. Schneider. And I'm Caleb James Grochalski, an actor in showcases and a proud equity member. And I am a uh, producer and director living in New York City, but my primary function right now is I'm the artistic director and producer of a company that specifically produces showcase musicals underneath the Actors' Equity Association showcase code. Caleb, what do you do? Caleb, I, that's me. (laughs) I am an actor. I have have done two productions with Rob and with uh, J2 Spotlight Musicals, and I currently sit uh, on the Equity Council for Showcase Codes. And we are recording this on February 20th, 2023 at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Before we start, a big thanks to Ethan for allowing us to come on and discuss this ever-evolving topic. So let's let's talk a little bit about ourselves so that way people can get an understanding of who we are and what we're talking about. So, Caleb, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you go to school and what artistic expression are you primarily focused on? I grew up in a, on a farm north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
college was in Syracuse, New York. I journeyed upstate into the snow and cold, but it was very, very similar to Pittsburgh. It was very gray and gloomy all the time. And now I'm in New York City, another gray and gloomy place. But I spent four years in Syracuse, moved to New York City in the winter of 2019 in January. Uh, I finished my final semester in New York City uh, and from there started auditioning for shows and for regional theaters. And from there, I was taught by Alex Gemignani for a hot second and he uh, had like reached the end of the points program. And then I had like literally gotten 50 points through doing shows for the summer and uh, while I was in school uh, during the winters. And I had collectively earned over 50 points. And so I was ready to join Actors' Equity. Alex Domignani said, like, you know, I think you're pretty all right. I think you should be just fine if you join now. And then you have a guarantee of being seen. And I am wearing my SpongeBob the Musical shirt today because I joined Actors' Equity Association because I wanted to be in SpongeBob the Musical on the national tour. I said, I am Squidward. This is my dream role. This is my dream show. I would gladly do it on tour. The day I marched down to the Actors' Equity building and paid my down de- my deposit and claimed everything, I checked my phone and it's going out non-equity. And oh. it was the wildest day of my life. I was like, I'm here going to be this professional actor and then here we go. <laughs> The SpongeBob tour goes out non-equity. You'll do it at some point. You will do it at some point. I will. I will. will. I'm going to do the J2 production in 40 years. (laughs) Great. Great. High concept. High concept. You were referring before to points, that you had a certain number of points, and then once you had enough points, you were able to join Actors' Equity. So that was, what was that program called, which is no longer, I think, existing? Points was essentially you, you, there are certain producers that want to use professional actors. So they go on a type of agreement with Actors' Equity Association. And there's different types based on the seating that they accommodate and the the, the price of tickets, uh, what they cost in the op- annual operating budget that usually like dictates whether it's a small professional theater, uh, letter of agreement, and whether they're part of like a regional stock program or anything like that. There's different levels of theaters and producing organizations. So when you work as an actor there and you are not equity, you can pay towards your union membership by one week of work equals one point. And once you get 50 weeks of work at union theaters, though on non-union contracts, but you're under the benefit of um, mostly having co-workers being a part of the union, you're working towards your union membership. And the reason that that was phased out is because for like a lot of times it would be, let's say, like, let's look at like musical theater, Wichita, right? And they're doing generally Hello Dolly, Beauty and the Beast, Jersey Boys, Cinderella seems to garner a certain type of ensemble member or or non-equity candidate that they look to hire. So the, through open access, equity look to give the opportunities to folks who, let's say, they've only done one or two regional theater contracts at, like, let's say, the Fulton or something like that. But they have to have proof that they have worked at a professional theater. That way, they can uh, the door can be open to them to join the union. Uh, it was in order 
to get access to joining the union prior to 50 weeks because a lot of marginalized groups did not have plays that were produced very often in the last pre-pandemic, honestly. Like it was just, it was a lot of Hello Dolly's, Music Man's, et cetera, et cetera. And people of these marginalized communities uh, were not necessarily seen on stage together very often. Now that scope is changing. So it just wanted to uh, have more people join the membership. Amazing. And so now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but now if you can show proof that at some point you were involved professionally as an actor or a stage manager, getting some sort of financial compensation, even a dollar counts, you can then join Actors Equity now. So no longer do you have to you know, either get involved with a high equity contract or be involved in this EMC program. Is that correct? Right. Caleb, how many showcase contracts have you worked on um, prior to this conversation today? I have worked on two. And I'm assuming you have friends that also work on showcase contracts throughout their journey in this career, right? Yes, a lot of people do, especially when you're living in New York City. And um, a lot of new work tends to be on showcase contract or stage reading. So that's a little bit of Caleb's journey. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, and then we'll we'll start to dive into this topic even more thoroughly. So I am the artistic director of a theater company in New York City, and it's called the J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company. And our goal is to take, we have really two goals. The first goal is to take musicals that we think deserve a re-examination, that don't get produced a lot, so not Oklahoma, not My Fair Lady, not Guys and Dolls, and we put them on for about eight or ten performances in the city. So, one, we're passionate about re-showing these shows to people, but the thing that I'm the most passionate about is the fact that for me, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, Caleb, it made me sad for a very long time that a lot of my wonderful friends made New York City their home and then could not work in New York City. And what I mean by that is is if they were going to go do Damn Yankees, they would have to go to Omaha or Seattle, or San Francisco. So they weren't sharing with their community and they weren't sharing with their neighbors their talents unless they were in a Broadway or off-Broadway show. So my feeling was um, there used to be a wonderful theater that was on a showcase contract, I believe, called Equity Library Theater, which was on 110th and Riverside, I believe. And it was there for about 30, 40 years from like the 1950s all the way through the 1980s. And what they would do is is they would do full productions of shows and they would invite agents and casting directors to come see these shows. Um, you could be a member of Actors' Equity to work in the production, but it was giving you a chance to be exposed. That doesn't exist anymore. And so my hope was, Mm -hmm. can we bring back something similar? And that's sort of the goal with our company. So I have been looking quite deeply over the past few years at the showcase contract, as well as as Caleb, obviously, as an actor on the committee. So we're both going to come at it with, I think, maybe a lot of questions and a lot of things that maybe we both need to seek clarifications on. But ideally, hopefully today, we'll be able to give you a foundation on what to do and what not to do if you're either looking to create a showcase or to participate in a showcase. So today's topic basically is the financials of the showcase code. And it's relevant and important to us because it's ever evolving. A lot of things in actors' equity right now are evolving. I'm going to give you a little brief history of the topic of what a showcase code is. And then we're going to 
dig in on the financials. There's really two models of a showcase code. I'd like to call them the LA model and the New York City model. Let's talk about the LA model first, because that one has been very controversial over the past few years. Just a reminder, once you join Actors' Equity, like any union, you're not allowed to take non-union work anymore. That's done. So you can't go and do Sally's Putt-Putt Theater, no matter how right you are for Damn Yankees. Did you audition, Caleb? I did. I did. They actually, they they offered me Joe Hardy. <laughs> but then Caleb said, uh, ah, I'm a member of Actors' Equity. And then I Equity. said, unfortunately, I could get blacklisted. I really could. Very good. So Caleb did the right thing and he stepped aside. But what happens, though, if you are a member of Actors' Equity and you do want to work, because at the end of the day, acting is artistic fulfillment. It's satisfying something in your soul. But there are no Actors' Equity shows for you. This is pretty much the the main model in Los Angeles, which is I want to keep myself fresh. I want to keep myself and my chops up. So L.A. created what was known as the 99-seat waiver circuit, which meant you could be a member of Actors' Equity. You could be involved in a pro, in a play production if you wanted with some limitations. The primary couple of limitations were you forego your health and pension benefits. Is that correct? Yeah. And the big one, which is the primary bone of contention, you really can be paid anything that you or the producer agrees to. If you're on a union contract, there's a minimum that the producer has to pay you. However, on a showcase contract, as an actor, you waive that right. If Caleb wanted to be in a showcase that I was producing and I said, hey, I'm only going to give you $2.75 because that's the cost of one train ride, and Caleb agrees to it, mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. That And that's sort of where yeah. the model is now. So in LA, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Los Angeles in a second because it's it was pretty controversial. So in LA, you're pretty much performing because you want to get your chops up. You want to keep yourself consistent because if you're in LA, you're mostly out there for film and television work. The other thing that LA actors liked about the, um, the showcase contract out there was the fact that at any point, rehearsals or even in performances, you could leave the production without any sort of penalty. So if you're an actor and you get a call to be on The Good Fight tomorrow at 9 a.m. and you still ha- and you have a per- performance, you can leave without any sort of penalty whatsoever. So L.A. actors liked that aspect of it. Now, if we go over to New York, we're going to talk a little bit about the New York City model. So the showcases in New York were really popular prior to the Internet, because now with the Internet, you can have a YouTube channel that shows your talent. You can have a website that shows your talent. You can have a dance reel that shows your talent. Prior to that, how would you get agents, casting directors, directors and producers to see you if there were no other modes? That's where the New York City showcase contract comes in. So the New York City one is really focused on visibility. Can I be seen by the right people? Can I, and I hate to use the word gatekeepers, but I think there are gatekeepers in this industry. Can I get a gatekeeper to watch me and see me in a full, a full role? So that's a brief little history. Now let's go back to Los Angeles to talk a little bit about the controversy that they were going to. 
This is Nick Wyman, who was the president of Actors' Equity when L.A. showcases got into a little bit of trouble. Caleb, I don't know if you've heard this this interview yet. I don't think you have. I think I'm going to be playing it for you for the first Mm -hmm. time. So we're going to take a listen and then feel free, Caleb, if you want, make some notes because there's a lot of things in here that Nick is saying that I'm curious as a member of Actors' Equity, as an actual member, how do you feel about this? And Nick is no longer the president, but this is him talking a little bit about his time with the showcase contract. You could write a book about this. You could have, you know, 10 podcasts about this. Basically what you have is historically actors equity has been a New York centric union. Indeed, up until sometime in the early eighties, I would say um, it was just New York. Um, And then you had a Western regional council and then a, a central regional council. Added up until then, you had you know just these advisory boards that would like you know offer some point of view from these. But who cares about that? Because it's all about New York. But it is still very much about the business is very much centered in New York. The actors who who work in all these regional theaters they're generally hired out of New York. It's not necessarily you know useful or appropriate or right for the actors who live in Detroit and and, and Dallas and 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 Louisville or you know whatever um, Seattle. But that's that's how it is. Uh, I have always been somebody who tried to like champion the actors who who, who choose to live for whatever reason in, in other places. At a certain point, we were told by our legal counsel that our approach to theater in L.A. was probably illegal. That allowing some theaters to pay their actors, you know, this little gas mileage stipend of you know, seven bucks a show or whatever. Um, and then making other theaters pay three hundred fifty or four hundred dollars a week wasn't kosher. You know you can't do that, and that members could sue for uh, for back pay that and that that actors were working for you know for less than minimum wage, um, and that we stood to lose a lot of money unless we changed our um, our rules. And I'm not a lawyer. And this whole issue occupies a somewhat gray area. I mean, there are people on the other side who are firmly convinced that 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 legal opinion was wrong and that we could have continued in the same way. That may be true. I don't know. Um, But we tried to carve out uh, exceptions. Um, We tried to create a a runway, a pathway towards paid work for actors in Los Angeles so that you would have all these gradations and, and steps towards being able to to make money doing work in LA. We carved out exceptions where if you wanted to get together with a bunch of your friends and do a show, fine, not a problem. If you wanted to work in a theater that would have 50 seats or less, not a problem. Um, if you wanted to, uh, and then, you know, at my insistence, they, they carved out this thing for membership companies. That if you wanted, if you were part of a membership group company, whatever, they, you could work with that membership group company without having to, you know, get an mm-hmm. equity contract. But the thing that this all this ran up against is the fact that people who are in L.A. are not in L.A. to do theater. They are in L.A. to become TV stars or to make a living doing television. Maybe they, they make a living doing film, too. But it's mostly it's a TV city. That's what it's all about. And if they got a TV gig, an episodic or, God forbid, a pilot, they did not want to be tied down to an equity contract. <laughs> Right. They won't be able to say, "Hey, I got an episode of, of you know of, of Manic next week. I'm out of here." So they didn't want 
you know, they're happy to have the money, but they didn't want to be tied down to a contract. Um, and that, I mean, for instance, the Antius Theater Company deals with this by double casting every one of their shows. So that when somebody gets a job, they just leave and the other person takes over. So this caused a huge stink because it was going to put a bunch of theaters out of business. Their business model meant they didn't pay the actors, and that's how they were able to pay their, you know, their executive, their artistic directors, and blah, 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 and frequently their directors, their lighting designers, their costume designers, their set designers. It was only the actors who weren't getting paid because um, the actors didn't want the actors you know, were happy to have the chance to like work on stage and exercise their muscles and everything, but they, but they wanted to be able to drop at any time and, and go off to this. So we were setting up a thing where they were going to, that was going to be lost to them. They were going to have fewer opportunities to work and it made them unhappy, made them very unhappy. And despite, you know, my best efforts to explain this to them uh, without getting into the, the legal ramifications, which is of course what was behind this, because he couldn't say that because he wants you that cat's out of the bag. Then, <laughs> then people are suing us and we're, oh, we're yeah. beginning. So it was, it was a mess exacerbated by the attitude of a bunch of people, a number of whom went on to serve as officers of the union in New York, who said, you know, Hey, look, if they, if, you know, if they don't want to be paid for their work, then let them, let them leave the union. Let them, who cares about that? A very unpleasant attitude towards, um, towards our members. So it, it took effect. Um, and it remains that way today. You know, I have stepped away from, from equity, so I don't know exactly where things stand now. But I mean, that is the membership companies, such as Antias, continue to work. Theaters that, that work under this 50 seats or less thing. And there are theaters that, you know, that pay actors. There aren't that many more. Maybe there are a couple more. But I mean, it's, you know, it has not been like a, a windfall of paying opportunities for actors in Los Angeles. You know, that is, it remains to this day. I mean, a place where you go to try and get TV work. What do you think about what the president is saying? And there, and once again, this is an open discussion that we have no dogs in these fights, and at least I don't think we do. We don't know Nick Wyman as well. Right, saying. right. <laughs> and all I know is coming to New York, really, really wanting to act and to dance and to be on stage in New York City, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, three bucks, two bags, one me, getting the opportunity to do that even while having union membership, it's an opportunity to work on a play. Some people are willing to do anything for real. If somebody looks your way one day and like gives you the thumbs up, it really can make your entire world for a year. And that can hold you over artistically and creatively for five. You know what I mean? I think that's really, really important. I think, and I think, after having a period of time where it was truly unsafe to gather publicly and that it affected all of us in a very specific way, you know, we use the the phrase now more than ever, now more than ever, we need theater or, or we crave that in-person energy because I realized after the pandemic, I think what makes me a creature of the theater is the fact that what the theater is, is ever changing, but it is the, to quote Heidi Schreck in what the constitution means to me, it's like the penumbra of this energy between audience and perform an actor doing stuff that they have rehearsed and that they believe in and not necessarily that it's going to change the world. Sometimes it does. Sometimes what they are 
have worked on is very important to them and actually could change a lot of minds. And sometimes it's tap dancing and celebrating joy, which sometimes we don't get enough of in our daily lives either. And simply by putting on tap shoes and doing this routine over and over again, eight times in a span of this length of time is enough to bring a smile to my face and enough to make me, you know, realize, yeah, I think I still have the chutzpah to continue doing this. I think that is really, really, really important to acknowledge. If somebody has a stage, somebody wants to be on it, you know, and, and it will eventually be willing to accept any rate. Somebody's just going to step on stage and volunteer if, if that means that they get to have their five minutes in the limelight. It's very interesting because people like Streep, you know, like Meryl Streep, you would imagine she's not going to get up on stage and, and open her mouth unless she gets exactly what is owed to her, you know? And then there's some people who are willing to, to do it right now. There's sections of plays and musicals that are all about uh, I just want to get up. It's literally Gene Kelly and um, Singing in the Rain. Gotta dance. Like, I just got to do this thing. And it's bursting out of me at the seams and I can't hold it in. I can't stand still. So that's an energy that exists in people. Uh, now, I think when we go into the world of labor and unions and money and America is a capitalist society. It's important to know this. Everything costs money. Uh, we need to acquire money at some point, and we need to eventually understand the way that it works. That way we can use it for both personal good and hopefully good for others. Because I also talk to friends, and I personally aspire to be a nonprofit because I have been the child of exceptional education programs from nonprofits, you know, and I have seen people donate to organizations for many years and been so proud of what this organization can do and what people can feel uh, when they are attached to an organization that does exceptional work and is ever changing. But yeah, when you're getting into conversations in a capitalist society about what is my energy and time worth? Uh, that's when it gets tricky because some people have different standards where they're willing to draw the line. And, so, and that is allowed to change because, as I said, comparing Meryl Streep versus Star to Be and Annie, you know, who's just fresh off the bus, excited to be here and really has the chutzpah and energy to dance right now and, and say all 10 monologues that she knows. And she'll tell you that proof monologue so fast. And Mary Louise Parker won't open her mouth unless you give her a piece of paper because she knows that she is at a certain pinnacle. So I think that's where we get into like the cost of acting and the cost of theater because also theater is a very different beast to look at other than sort of law and order because then your residuals on something like that and there is a model built into film and television and the plays of that and how often it is viewed that has a financial model as well. And in theater, we don't get that because it does take energy every single day because you are a human vessel 
So like anywhere from like an hour to three hours a night that you are expected to explode all of this energy, right? Uh, whether you're doing a dramatic four-person play, uh, a one-person show like buyer and seller, but that's still an explosion of energy every day. And that's a lot of work. And, and standing up for yourself and what you believe that is worth is something that every individual artist goes through some point so and me, there does come a point when you start climbing yourself up the ladder so let me ask you a question yeah. then from 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 an actor's perspective so let's let's go back to look at that los angeles showcase model so these were individuals mm -hmm. that were members of actors equity they basically said to the union we are fine we as actors are fine with not getting any real compensation for the time that we are allowing ourselves to either be artistically on stage or to let this company use their art as part of raising money for the company. Is there is there a point, or do you think it's the union's job to say, hey, listen, that's all great and wonderful, but our job is to protect you. And even though you think you know better, our job is to tell you either that you don't or that you have other protections that should be utilized that you're not utilizing at this particular moment. Because I think the feeling was from a lot of L.A. actors was, who is this union to tell me that I can and cannot do what I want to do, which is kind of the point of the union to begin with? How do you feel about that? Do you feel like a union needs to step in and say, hey, that's great that you're playing Hamlet for $2 a week, but you're kind of selling yourself short? I think it really has to step in and look at the budgets and the budgets have to be transparent. Like in the producing organization needs to be open and intentional, I believe to its audience rightfully so as well, because theater is kind of literally like a summer camp. Like all these people are individually working on something together in a condensed environment for such a short period of time. So therefore it feels like if somebody's getting more money than everybody else, it's like, well, why not share the wealth at least? You know, why don't we all come out of here with an even, with an even pocket and be grateful, especially if that's the, if the goal is not profit. I don't think it's quite fair to put on a show and then, oh my God, we're a hit. And then one person happens to, the producer happens to get all of the money. Unlo like in my deal is unless they put it towards, we're raising money for a new facility or we're raising money for a scholarship fund or something like that. I think that the, it is up to the producer to be transparent for what any type of residual earning is going towards. And, um, you know, so, so do you feel like a nonprofit model in which any income that is being generated from ticket sales goes right back in to this producing entity? That is probably the safest and healthiest way of, of having a showcase presented? So there's a transition contract that is specific for New York, and it is geared towards literally transitioning from a showcase code to a type of tier of off-Broadway. It is like, it's intended as a stepping stone and, and every, uh, the tier goes up with the years that you stay on this contract. So there's other things that, there's other models that exist beyond the showcase code. I do think that it is 
defaulted to for a lot more than it needs to be because I kind of view that kind of like this equity library theater thing, a showcase code should be limited to a specific type of idea and should be limited in rehearsal time and in budget. But currently the budget is $35,000. So it's like a lot can happen from there. Uh, but like if you're working up to $35,000 in budget, but then you're giving your actor only $275 for the subway ride, but then requiring them to be present at rehearsal and not at any day job at which they could be earning more money, even though they earn, they have the right to walk off the the walk off the contract or not actor like i think we're in this period where like light is being shined on actor trauma early early on where it's like oh my god i would never dare walk out of a ballet class with that teacher you know they would they would be mistrunchable and pull me by my pigtails and things like that there is a like we're kind of scared into acting a certain way especially when it comes to something that we are passionate about like a lot of people are going to put up with things and still complain about them. That's also the other point too, is people are going to complain no matter what, but I think the most transparent one can be, especially with the financials on something where you are all agreeing to a specific amount. If the mission is clear enough that it's like, we're a Shakespeare company that only does shows in this black box theater only wearing blacks and carrying a binder like that is that's just what that is i think personally from an actor standpoint and from a committee person standpoint when we're discussing anything that has to do with the labor union we're fighting for legitimacy on a on a piece of paper that says that like we are worth x amount is at least the, the job of the actor and the stage manager is worth X amount. And the reason why we are searching for equity is for at least transparency and the respect in this type of way. I was going to say, when you say, you know, we are worth X amount. So on other tiers or on other contracts in actors equity, it very clearly states the minimum an actor must be paid. So where do you get this number from? How do you say, I'm worth $600 a week or I'm worth $5 a week. Like, where do you get that? How do you come up with that number? It's really in people's head, right? Because some people come out of their BFA program being like, I'm Broadway and, and I won't do anything other than a production contract. And they have decided what their worth is. Like, I, I think everybody kind of in a capitalist society uh, kind of looks at themselves in the mirror and is like, thinks, what am I worth? What is my net worth? The tough thing with acting is, yes, it does tear all over the place. And it is generally based on the size of the theater, the type of play that they are presenting that has to do with seats, how much the seats cost. And kind of like uh, when you are licensing for a musical, they take those into account too. I would think that one should seek to compensate a full team in a similar way. Amazing. Amazing. So that's where we're looking at for when it comes to putting a number to the employment of an artist. Now, we should tell you that, first of all, that the showcase contract or the showcase, that there are boundaries and limitations. Um, So first of all, the actor and the producer, there is no signed contract. 
between any of these individuals. Um, so there's nothing that legally binds either the producer of the showcase or the actor participating in the showcase to anything whatsoever. So right now we have no signed contract. So the deal is, is that it's no signed contract. It, it is a code in that is yes. truly like a very separate category from contracts and agreements because it essentially means that it's like word of mouth or handshake. Like it, yes. in like nothing is legally binding to this. Therefore, you can walk off of the premises. However, because they are applying to use legally used union talent, like the actor can report back to equity if something on the producer's half is untrue or or red flag worthy. But other than that, it is pretty much uh, untraced and completely on the actor's accord. It's like okay, you do you. That's, that's actually what codes are going to be called in the future. You do use. Really? Um, like, you, like you do you. Okay. Um, the actor foregoes and the state. I'm going to also say state. When I say actor, I'm also going to include stage manager in this as well, if that's okay. The actor mm-hmm. foregoes Absolutely. any health insurance or pension payment. Now, if this was on any other sort of actual legitimate contract with actors equity, the, the producing entity would also have to pay for the actor. In addition to their salary, they also have to pay into equity's health pension and retirement fund for that individual. We are not, the producing entity does not have to do that this time around. Like Caleb was saying earlier, an actor can leave anytime they want without any repercussion. Hence, because it's a it's a handshake deal, there's no legal ramification if on opening night, Caleb says, hey, I'm heading off to go do, you know, the good wife somewhere, which I hope you mm-hmm. do, Caleb. You'd be fantastic on that show. Um, Caleb mentioned Thank this you. a little. You're welcome. Caleb mentioned this a little bit earlier. And I will say from a producing perspective, this surprised me because I thought this number would be much lower. Um, the budget for the production cannot exceed $35,000 exclusive of actor stipends. So you can spend $35,000. And then you, if you wanted, you could pay the actors $10. You could pay them $10,000. That number is not included in the $35,000 that you are spending to create the showcase opportunity. In Los Angeles, mm-hmm. it's $25,000. Um, it's decreased by 10 Probably because cost of living is a little bit different in New York. I don't know the actual answer to that, and I would be curious to see. Another thing, no one can make more than the actor equity actors and stage managers on or off the stage. So everyone is pretty much on either a favored nations or less than. So, for example, if Caleb is in my show as an actor and I pay him $1,000, I can't pay the director $2,000. I can't pay a choreographer $1,500. Everybody has to get the same exact amount. So that's also included in all of this. Producer has to have insurance. The producer has to protect the actor in some way. Usually there's a bond that's put up if this was a legitimate contract. And when I say legitimate contract, I mean something that's not on a code, not to say that something is illegitimate, but that um, there is insurance to cover the actor or stage manager if something goes wrong. Also, this kind of surprised me as well. Industry people must be allowed in for free, which is great, but there's a couple of issues here. One... I don't know if industry people are aware that they need to contact the producer to arrange their ticket for free, which is 
which is not really advertised. And I, and I think that's something that needs yeah. to change. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. And uh, if you're a member of Actors' Equity, you're allowed in for free if a seat is available to you. So that's also there as well. The other thing we'll talk about, I think, in our second half of what exactly defines an industry person. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. You can't rehearse for more than five weeks. And you can't perform for more than four weeks. You can have up to 12 performances. The maximum they will give you on a showcase code is 16 performances. If you go above 12, then every actor needs to receive $10 more for each of those additional performances, if that all makes sense. You can't rehearse an actor more than 128 hours in totality. This does not include performance time. Your venue has to be 99 seats or less, which constitutes itself as an off-Broadway off theater or an L.A. They used to call equity waiver, but now that number, I think, is down to 50. Um, so L.A., it's 50. Mm -hmm. Here, it's 99. And then this is also something I found in the showcase contract that I, I also think needs to be addressed. Payments of no less than minimum public transportation cost shall be made on a weekly basis. So if we're in the great city of New York, it costs $2.75 to take a train somewhere and $2.75 to go back. So we're going to be really generous mm -hmm. and we're going to say $6. And if you're rehearsing six days a week, six times six is $36 a week. And let's say you're involved for four weeks of performances and five weeks of rehearsal. That's nine. So what's nine, 18, 27, 38. So you could be making $360 for nine weeks of work in a worst right. case scenario. Mm -hmm. And if you say, well, I don't need public transportation because I live next to the theater. What does that entail? So right. these are some of the things that have been, and these are, once again, this is all from actors equity from their, their showcase producing kit. It's all available on their website. LA is very similar with different numbers. And actually LA, I find to be more specific about what an actor is allowed and not allowed to do. Now, as we said at the beginning of this podcast, Caleb is now on a committee uh, with Actors' Equity to re-examine basically the New York City showcase code because there are no other showcase codes for any other city beyond New York or Los Angeles that I can find. So if you're in Chicago or Omaha right. or Seattle I think you have to reach out to your regional manager and figure, or your regional representative, I'm sorry, and figure out exactly what you want to do. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, and when we do, we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Caleb a little bit more about exactly what does he and the committee want to see changed and exploring a little bit more in depth these boundaries and financial rules that Actors' Equity has put into place to not only protect the union, but to protect the actors themselves. We are going to take a break from this interview to mention the Artistic Finance Patreon page. If you are enjoying the show, consider supporting Ethan on Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes on a private podcast feed that you can add to your podcast player. It includes early releases and bonus episodes. Another unique thing about Artistic Finance is that 25% of income goes back out to other artists, live event workers, or arts nonprofits. 25%. How great is that? So if any of those sound appealing to you and you'd like to support Ethan, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash artistic finance. Thank you in advance. And now back to the show. 
So let's look, if we can, actually at the committee that you're on currently, because you mentioned this earlier, and this actually surprised me because I, I wasn't even aware of this, that a lot of new musicals or readings of shows sort of get developed um, on a showcase uh, contract. And the showcase contract sort of seems to be the de facto thing that equity gives out to someone if something feels amorphous. What exactly is the committee currently working on? Like, what what are some of the things that that the committee is saying, we want to see this changed, we want to see this fixed? Since joining, we've only had one committee meeting. It is very, uh, like our committee chair person has been the committee chair on the showcases for 15 years. We had a really interesting discussion, discussion with our business rep. And I think that is what really opened my eyes because coming from the words of the business rep's mouth, uh, she gets a lot of showcase applications and it's really tough for her sometimes to, to give approval, especially repetitively, because there's also limited limitations on you can't do a showcase more than once in a calendar year of the same show title as well. So it's like, it. let's say something was a smash. Let's say, for example, J2's production of a class act, a smash hit show. Uh, it was, and it was really fabulous. And, but let's say we wanted to bring it back next year or in six months, everybody is available and we could move it to another space and play it for a bit longer. You could not do that again on a showcase code. You would have to tear up and, and move on to an actual off-Broadway or a transition type contract. And I think what Caleb, the committee person, would love to see is us as pr producers and as actors and as a union realize what a code is and why it is different than a contract and why we should use it in special scenarios. Like we should not default to using it regularly for the sake of legitimacy, right? Because we want the majority of theaters that are touting, we are union using union actors because that gives the illusion of fair pay. I don't well, that's that's a tricky comment. Um no. I would not want to say gives the illusion of fair pay. I would want to say we're using professional actors. This is a professional production. Therefore, I would hope that all behavior associated with it is as professional as possible in going through the tiers of legitimacy that we can try to cling on to. Like, you know, all these things that people say, it's like, but that's democracy. That's the way that democracy works. We have to do proceedings in this way in order for this to survive. Because I think when we forego things and realize where things are malleable or maybe not when something isn't necessarily written on the page, then it's just kind of up in the air and it's ethereal anyway. So you can make a decision to discard it. I am proud to say that I've never been any, in any situations in which I have felt discarded or pushed off to the side in any way. Because New York City is very big and I guarantee you there have been companies previously that have cheated embezzled or something something to the uh, an icky degree and i that think it's a matter of like just 
just like searching for the most fairness and the most legitimacy possible that way, because literally on a contract, like both sides of the table can point at this piece of paper and say, here in the writing is what it says. Cause everybody who takes something very seriously loves to do that. I mean, we love to get legal in this capitalist society as well. So, and we love to know our worth and what we are owed as well. It's a mutual agreement. So I think the more that we have in writing, the stronger that all of our relationships can be, especially in a professional sense. That's what I would love to see happen in the future. So I would love to see more theater companies go to the transition, or I would love for us to adapt the transition contract to say, make it seem more attractive. You know, I think the, because the showcase go, goes clear up until $35,000, it, it covers a very wide range. And therefore I would love to see it potentially like LA limited that way um, we can offer another alternative that is a happier medium because we are seeing equity change a lot of things we are seeing the potential continuation with the star garden stripper dancers in la as well trying to unionize with equity so i think we're also going to be dealing with the conversation in in the next three to five maybe two to five years on like what an quote actor is and if what a stage artist is and what we are fighting to protect and give pay rates to because I think we need to really reevaluate what we're even defining ourselves as and to what ramifications we are holding producers accountable because I fully believe that, you know, if we're looking at ticket sales, what the tickets cost, how many tickets are available, and if they receive significant private donation, that should also affect what the actors and what everybody else under the umbrella of the theater company is paid. Maybe not pay transparency for everyone, but at least pay transparency with anybody associated with the union. I should also say at, at this point, um, at the end of every showcase contract or code, I should say, the producer is required to turn into Actors Equity a full ticket breakdown as well as a full itemized budget. So people can see where the money is going and how much money was taken in. Now, what I'm curious about is, let's say I'm I'm producing a showcase. I submit it to Actors' Equity Showcase Department. The department says to me, "You know what? This really isn't a showcase. This is a transitional code or a transitional thing. Or actually, this feels more comfortable on an off-off Broadway thing." Is that the goal that the show that the Equity can then look at what the contracts or say the the um, application is? And then say, hey, listen, you should actually be on level A as opposed to like level one. Yeah, that is what I would encourage our business rep to do. However, in the end, it's going to be up to the producer in general, because also theater really wouldn't exist without producers, without people intending to spend money on creating this ethereal thing called theater. So it's it's a dub, it's a double-edged sword, right? And we can't withhold our work because in the end the producer is still going to find somebody else to do it anyway so it's amazing there's a lot of different types of venues in new york city like i would just love to see something a bit more legitimate because like it's also something like titanic really hit uh, head off and now they've moved up in tier and they've moved to different types of production like that's kind of the special thing about theater in new york city is that like something can 
take off. And if everybody is available, you can move spaces. You can get bigger. Like there, we need to fight to be put on like written agreements that way the paper trail can move fast, faster if it needs to be. So when you say that it would go, there'd be like a stepping stone between these contracts. What exactly constitutes in your ideal mind where a show is put on a level? Is it actor salary? Is it the overall budget? What exactly determines what a level is or what a tier is? I would say there's a difference though between, because also let's say you're subscription-based season and you're going to expect X amount of audience members per show. Other than, let's say you devised your own show, you got a 150 seat or a 99 seat theater at Theater Row, you put out all the marketing and then three people show up a day. Like there's a very big difference between a show like that and playing to subscription audiences where you know you're at least going to have 50 people per show. And then you're going to be selling X tickets on top of that. And then also knowing that equity members can come in for free and that industry members can come in for free. That is important to to know. Just we we keep coming back to like a showcase. Its initial purpose is to share the work with industry professionals, right? And we kind of, and we still get away from that and and we need to invite that possibility back. Well, that's, I'm happy that you brought that up because that's one of the things that's always kind of astounded me. I can't talk about other companies. I can only talk about our company or or my company, the JG right. Spotlight company, which is for me, a sh- showcase to me means I am presenting my work to be seen by people that can then give me more work. That's kind of how I right. like to think of a showcase. So for example, like f- when when we do a show, we do reach out to just about every agent. We reach out to about every casting director to let them know, hey, listen, there's talented people here. You should come see them. One of the reasons that we chose Midtown as our primary location is it makes it easier for casting directors and agents. However, a friend of mine, and I won't say what the show was, did like that nine-week scenario that we were talking about, where they were like rehearsing for five weeks, they performed for four weeks, in the middle of like, I hate to, I don't want to sound rude, but like in the middle of Queens somewhere that was really a schlep to get to. And, and, but they were on a showcase contract. And I kept thinking to myself, well, who, to whom are they showcasing? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, not attractive. It's not, a, it, it's not attractive. It's cumbersome for the, 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 the people that might employ you. So for me, I'm like, well, how did they get a showcase contract? And I asked my friend who was in it, I said, did anybody from the industry come? And the answer was no. I said, did you know that anyone from the industry came? And they're like, we were never told. But it's very clear in the showcase contract that the producer has to let the actors know within 24 hours that, hey, these were the industry people who attended. I get a little nervous about that. And I feel like if, hey, listen, if you all want to get together and put on a production of Bat Boy. I'm totally making that title up. Like if you want to put on a production of Bat Boy and you're not, you're doing it to artistically fulfill your soul and you're not really concerned about, you know, if someone's going to see you, that awesome. But there should be a special contract for that as opposed to people entering a showcase contract with the expectation of I'm going to be showcasing my wares to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like maybe perhaps this in-between contract 
because like it seems to me that like showcase code really really encompasses so many things yeah. when in actuality it can even be something as simple as like an agreement to appear in a community theater production it really could be something boiled down to like i'm stepping onto a small black box stage in flatbush brooklyn right where i am and in you know doing a section of king lear or i'm you know playing the kooky uh, uh dementia lady in the humans wow i can't believe i said that momo like and she's great. just like thank you thank you and she's just like kind of speaking to herself the entire show just for the sake of whether the acting exercise or a friend asked you to do it and you you know are okay that is an agreement that you are okay with but the expectations on both sides of the table like that it seems that this was there was an expectation on the actor's behalf that was not fulfilled on the producer's behalf for this scenario that you threw out there but you know in order to have less problems in this little summer camp thing called theater it is my goal to find something that will appease both sides but that will allow both artistic expression and financial flourishment or, or financial commonality i guess between both parties is like my alternative model that i would love to see is an hourly model much like anything else that is w2'd at the end of the year because now that we're in tax season that's just something that i'm yes. thinking of or like that like specifically the entire show is on a 1099 you are going to make x number of stipend per week but that is on a assuming that you'll be called for 30 hours of the week boom like here's your here's your rate and then everybody can accept also if you have a supporting role and you're going to be called less this week you can therefore pick up more shifts at your other plebeian job you know i i would love to see a model where rehearsal time does not have to be it doesn't have to be as big of a time commitment like some people stop their jobs in order to do a showcase which is really tough especially if they're accepting less than the livable mount and for let's say nine weeks like that's nine weeks that you're really altering your income stream and that is a really kind of d dangerous potentially and do you in the in the fight for legitimacy so it basically i mean based on what i'm hearing it fe it feels like there is a tier that's missing and that's really what this committee is trying to work for, implementing a second tier that's a middle ground in which it seems like everyone is 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 content with how all of this is going to go. Great. I will say from a what I, what I found interesting from a producing perspective is that there were certain things I thought would be guaranteed in the showcase code that is for the actor that is not guaranteed mm -hmm. in the showcase code. We have tried to the best of our ability at, at, at our company, and I can't speak for other companies, to try to make it a rule of what's not been codified. It's kind of weird. Like when I look at the showcase code, I look at it not from a producer, but from an actor's perspective. And I go, well, why aren't they being guaranteed X, Y, and Z? It says industry people are allowed in for free, but you don't have to put seats aside for them. So if the show is sold out with all of your friends from Omaha and, you know, Telsey walks up, they can't get a seat. 
So, I mean, I don't know. There's certain things in there that I'm always a little bit surprised by. For us, what we do is, is we know how hard it is. So we're like, they should be able to keep their day job. So we, we rehearse half days. So you can either keep a morning job or an evening job. Now, I'm supposed to ask you, is there a question you'd like to ask me? Well, I think it's really interesting to you, too, that you freelance direct elsewhere other than being a producer of specifically JQ Spotlight. Are you, and there's other models for which you direct and you fit in that everybody else is. Is there any other future plan that you'd love to see? Because this is, J2 is only a section of the year. Is there anything else that you'd love to do supplementally that would advance kind of what you're starting with J2? The the thing that's always going to be very important to me is that the theater company feels like it's a place for actors that or and design everyone that's so I want to say new to the industry, like has just made New York their home, a place for them to launch. And in an ideal world, it wouldn't just be seasonal. In an ideal world, mm-hmm. Maybe there'd be something over the summer. Maybe there'd be something over the fall. Right now, we're taking a look at maybe seeing if we can do some scholarship programs. To me, I think it's important to foster new talent. And I want to see if we can foster them in a safe environment. Like you said, I'm a freelance director. Mm -hmm. And I love working with, I don't want to say kids, that doesn't sound right. But I love, excuse me, working with people who are just out of college because there's so much optimism and joy. But my feeling is, is that they don't get, excuse me, they're not protected. A lot of the theaters that I work for, you know, are non-equity. I would love to see that there was some sort of agreement either amongst non-equity theaters just to protect the actors. Because, I mean, I don't know about you or the last time you did a non-equity show, but, you know, you can go and they can keep you working for 14 hours if they want. You can wake up. And and to set up and take down the sets with your bare hands. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, and then like, hey, today you're cleaning the bathrooms and then you're teaching the kids and then you've got 20 minutes and then we're doing a run through of the show. And then that night you're performing, you know, Kiss Me, Kate. Uh, One of the things I'm excited by seeing is this disintegration. And I think it really comes a lot from the university setting that you Mm -hmm. have to be in rooms where you're psychologically unsafe. If you if you say I don't like something, you're looked at as a troublemaker and you're not going to work. Yeah, that because I think that is horrible. And I would love to make sure that like when a lot of students, when they first leave their college setting or what wherever they are, that if they go into a non-equity summer stock, they can be protected without the fear of repercussions. The problem is, is unlike equity, there's no one supervising these people. Right. What happens when HR when you want to go to HR, but HR is the artistic director, who's the one, you know, right. making inappropriate comments, or the one who's forcing yeah. you to work 18 hours a day. I, I don't know if this is answering your question, but for me, I would love to see some sort of collective agreement where there is somebody that oversees these summer stocks, that oversees these non-union theaters, just to be an advocate for these kids who can't advocate for themselves. And yes, I agree with you. There are some people who will never be happy. And there are some people who will complain about things that you're like, that's really not a complaint. But I do feel like I'm happy to see that artists are realizing I have worth And if I don't feel safe, I don't want to be a part of it. And there is no repercussion for that decision. Caleb, where can people connect with you um, if they want to follow you somewhere? 
Yeah. Uh, so I have a website. It's www.caleb, C-A-L-E-B, James, J-A-M-E-S, Groach, G-R-O-C-H.com. That is also my handle on Instagram, Caleb James Groach, and you can follow me there. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this this was an absolute joy having you. Um, you are. And folks, if you ever get the pleasure of working with Caleb, it is an extreme pleasure. He is the best of the best. Um, and I can speak from experience. We always love having him around. That's it for this week's episode. I'm supposed to tell you my takeaways. My takeaways are congratulations to the union for working hard and making sure it protects all of its members. I'm so happy to see that uh, this committee is going around. And like Caleb and I were talking about today, it is healthy to talk about artistic and economics at the same time. Yes, talk about the numbers. I think so much damage could be assuaged if we just talked about what are you getting? How much am I getting? Who else is taking money? That's also another big one. Listen, if you're a non-for-profit, it makes total sense. You're like, okay, it's it's cyclical. The money's just right. staying in one location. But if you're a for-profit producer on a showcase, I'm like, where is your money going? Right, right. And and it's usually inconspicuous. You're like, huh, this they don't seem to be a nonprofit. I and it, it's just kind of like you get the the idea that it's like, I think they're making money off of this. Oh yeah. I mean, I I'm like, what yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's one of those things where I'm like, how are you? You you can't do this, but if I had like carte blanche, I would say. All right, we're only going to approve showcases that are for not for profits. That's yeah, for real. That would that would be my thing to just be like, this 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 should all be cyclical. It should pay your costs, and then I think you're right. If you've paid off all the costs, then I think there should also maybe be a caveat of now you can divide amongst everyone else on the team whatever your right. profit is, even if it's like two cents, and just be like, here's your two pennies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um, think it would be like kind of like a residual i mean for us i mean we you know for 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 j2 i mean the 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 money that we've lost but i'm like there are some producers that are able to do it and i'm like i want to know where your money's going okay so there you go so folks what did you think of today's interview if you liked it mention it out on the socials tag artistic finance and me robert w schneider and our guest caleb we'd love to hear what you think if you're enjoying the show please consider becoming a patron it really helps to cover some of the podcast costs i've chosen to help ethan out by donating my time and energy to create this episode i didn't donate time and energy this was fun i had a good time this doesn't feel like a donation if you want to help out consider becoming a producer of the show you can do that at patreon.com forward slash artistic finance Ethan told me I had to promote myself during this episode. So if you've enjoyed listening, check me out on Instagram, Rob W. Schneider, or head on over to um, see a showcase in action. Head on over to the J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company. This season, we're doing Woman of the Year, Sugar, and The Goodbye Girl. All three of those shows, it's the first time they've been revived in New York City. Uh, One last thing, and this is about the Monthly Financial Independence Book Club. Ethan and Amy Deluxe assign a fire-themed book and then meet to discuss it. Meetups are totally free, and one lucky attendant gets a prize. To find out what this month's book is and to get the link to the video meetup, email Ethan at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg.